iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the game podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gregor Robertson. We're with you twice a week throughout the season for all the best reaction and analysis from some of the best football writers in the business. Indeed, and joining us today, Matt Dickinson and Bill Edgar. Coming up, we're going to look back at a fascinating weekend of Premier League action. Marvellous Manchester City are back to being great as they hit eight. However, Liverpool didn't lie down and they kept the gap between themselves and City at five points with a hard-fought 2-1 at Stamford Bridge. But let's start at the London Stadium, though, where Manuel Pellegrini hammered home the challenge that Manchester United faced to keep their place in the top six this season. How concerning, Matt, is the state United are in right now? Uh, well, as, as a fan, pretty concerning. Um, sorry, I'm not a fan. Uh, <laughs> Make that very yeah. clear. <laughs> yeah, no, for, for their fans, um, yeah, pretty concerning because it just feels like you know, a small step up and then a pretty big one back all the time. And I think we are just stuck in this is going to be the, the cycle of United season. They're going to they're not good enough, to be frank, to to, you know, be sure uh, against, you know, even sort of middling teams in um, in the Premier League. They're set. Yeah, they're going to be struggling to get top four. You know, and there yeah, there's been OK. Wan-Bissaka comes in, Maguire come in and Pretty, pretty decent signings, but up front, the minute Rashford goes off, you wonder what on earth they're going to have. And um, there are issues all over, the, you know, the pitch. And still, I think around the hierarchy, um, and the biggest question—well, not the biggest question, but obviously a big question—Solskjaer's not necessarily the problem, but is he the solution? And I've had my doubts about that since the start. Well, there were goals from Andrei Yamalenko and Aaron Cresswell that sealed the win for West Ham, who now are unbeaten since their opening day loss to Manchester City. Bill, obviously, you've made no secret of the fact that you're a United fan. Um, James yeah. Gearbrandt has written about the game today in the game, saying there's barely any plan, threat or identity. That's worrying as a fan. Yeah, I think that hits a nail on the head, actually, about uh, identity. Um in terms of the actual players, um, United have got a reasonably talented group of players when they're all fit. Um, but uh, but you're looking at what can the manager do in terms of increasing uh, the level so that the team's greater than the sum of its parts, uh, which Klopp and uh, Guardiola do uh, to an extraordinary degree. So, so you're... You're looking for an exceptional manager to to get anywhere close to that, and so far after nine months, there's not really much sign that Solskjaer's done that at United. You can't really see a pattern. I know Guardiola and 
Klopp, each took a year or so, or so to really get into their stride. But even in the first year, you could see what their plan was. You could see, oh, okay, if they, you know, it's uh, very intense pressing game or passing apparently suicidally around the back or whatever, that sort of thing. Yeah, it didn't particularly work at start. But some sort of plan was but with United. You can't really see what they're doing. Uh, I mean, he's changed it uh, compared with Mourinho in terms of slightly more attacking. So there's a few, they have more options up front. Um, um, the, the creativity is a real issue. There's just, there's there's very little plan. They kind of don't know what to do. It's not like they're, they're deliberately passing back as they did under Mourinho because they're very cautious. But there's, there's just little idea. Um, and, and at the moment with uh, Pogba out, he's a very creative player and an incredibly talented player, albeit hasn't shown that much with United. But they're, they're, they're playing McTominay and Matic together in central midfield. They're similar sort of players, both massive, both very solid. And But you don't really want two of them in the same team. Um, but there's not much else to, to go on. Andreas Pereira has been playing. I mean, he, he's a long way from the standard United should be um, looking for. Mata has been a great player in his day, but he's slightly off it. Um, Rashford, I mean, he's got great potential, but now he's injured. Um, Martial, again, is a fantastic player, but again, he's injured. You know, it, what, certainly when, when Sanchez uh, was there, again, a brilliantly talented player, didn't do anything at United, but, you know, when he was there, they had the the tools, you know, the, the, the raw materials were there. And then you put a great manager on top of that. <clears throat> then you had... Um, Potential to come into be a great team, but um, just looking at Solskjaer on his own, I can't really see much of a, a plan there. Well, it was a second defeat in a row for Manchester United at the London Stadium. Mentioned already that Marcus Rashford picked up that injury, he limped off, leaving Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Gregor, with no strikers. How naive were United in letting Lukaku go and then not actually bringing anybody else in? Yeah, I mean, it looks like a pretty foolish move now. Um, I thought Josie Mourinho was quite interesting about this. He's he's actually turning out to be a pretty entertaining pundit, I think. <laughs> um, he was talking about how he's not politically correct and uh, he was always crying about the lack of centre-halves last year, but that had, a, well, that had a purpose, you know? He, he wanted them to go out and sign someone. So he's essentially saying that either Solskjaer is happy that Rashford is the number nine to rely upon or he's not playing the game properly really and he should have been putting more pressure on people above to to bring in someone else um, but yeah I mean Tony Cascarino's piece sort of highlighted it today that there's I think the last time a, a Man United forward scored 20 goals was Van Persie in 2012-13 and as Bill's just gone through the sort of options now Rashford he's only hit double figures once Martial scored 11 in his first season that's the most he's ever scored, scored since he joined Manchester United um, they don't have many options and so Sanchez you can see why they allowed him to leave because it was just a disaster from start to finish really and he wanted to go Lukaku might have wanted to go but I think without having someone lined up it's, it's it looks like it's been a, a big error well, you mentioned Jose Mourinho. He also spoke about Rashford and how he, when he was the boss, he preferred to play him wide rather than down the middle. And he doubts whether or not the England striker can ever make a success of, of his new position. Is he right? Should United be relying on Rashford, Matt, to be getting the goals? 
Well, they haven't got much choice, but um, <laughs> I think it's interesting. Gareth Southgate was talking about this um, with us recently, saying that he envisaged Rashford becoming a, a sort of orthodox goal scoring number nine sort of sooner than he appears to be. Um, he, he said that he can see him playing um, wider for, for sort of for longer because partly because he seems more comfortable there. I think, you know, there is. You know, in an ideal world, I think at his stage, um, he would be doing that role as a sort of the, the regular while using the number, coming into the number nine role to to sort of learn and develop it. But yeah, it's too much. For, I think it is too much at his stage of a career to be United to be saying, you know, we not only need you, but we need you to be number nine. We need you to be scoring this twenty twenty five goals a season that we're, we're lacking. It's a big expectation on someone who's still exploring their potential. Um, uh, you know the way he's being used with England makes far more sense. So it's um, yeah, it's 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 a big burden on on him, and um, it highlights one of many issues for United. Mm. Not that we want to be the Jose Mourinho mouthpiece, of course, but he also spoke uh, about how this team is worse than the team of last season. Do you agree with that, Bill? It's hard to compare with last season because they're two such different periods you know the collapse under Mourinho then the kind of moderate recovery overall under Solskjaer and if you go back to Mourinho's first season then it's pretty similar really similar level um but as I say there's just a there's a long way to go they they definitely need um they've always need greater strength in depth and Manchester City have always been far ahead of them in that sense um but now that they need uh, one or two players just for the for the first eleven, just to strengthen that that level even, um, and you know the, the the time will come when people the question about Solskjaer will be asked. I mean, you know, to Matt's credit, I remember when uh, Manchester United were beating everybody in sight, beating PSG away, Arsenal away, Chelsea away, Tottenham away, beating everybody away, and. Um, and do quite well. I mean, there was quite a string of lucky results in amongst that good start. But Matt was saying, you know, hang on, everybody was clamouring for Solskjaer to be manager. <laughs> he did say, well, isn't Pochettino sort of better qualified, you know, given if you look over the last six, seven years or whatever. And at the moment, then it's, it's hard to disagree. I mean, they've lost the fear factor, haven't they? No one's afraid to take on Manchester United anymore, Matt. Well, that's definitely w- w- one of the issues. I mean, to be fair to Solskjaer, he's you know that that was a sort of in- part of his sort of dubious inheritance. And you know, like he, I, I think he's a he's got potential, but he doesn't know his own potential at this level yet. And that's that's the scary position for United. Well, that's why I think they needed someone who's coming in with a, a, a you know, but dangerous in football to talk about long term plans. That's sort of you know six months in this game. But you know what I mean. That's why I was thought Pochettino made so much sense. Um, because I think a club at that point needed someone who was going to set had a very clear vision of the type of football they want, very clear idea of the type of players they want, had had the experience of doing that, of club building, of team building, and they could, you know, know their calibre to put the faith in. And the trouble with Solskjaer, they don't know his calibre. You know, that we're all trying to find out and exploring it and to say he's he's a you know bright guy, but that's very different from dragging a club that's had the sort of still really stuck in post Ferguson convulsions you know that takes a strong man and a strong leader to drag that to a different place mm. um and that's where say that's that's why there's you know there have to be 
you know, Solskjaer may have abilities, but there have to be questions about him until he proves if he can do that. And it's a big, it's a big ask. None of that will change, though, unless there's a change in the, the hierarchy or a change of sort of approach. Certainly, they're the man who they're the guys who appoint the next manager and, and and are involved in the next signings. You know, that's why it's a double, it's a double whammy really for United. They have, as as we've been saying, Solskjaer, who's really unproven and he's been handed a bit of a raw deal. Uh, with the with the squad, which has happened over a series of years since Ferguson left, I think they said yesterday on TV at a cost of nine hundred million pounds. This is the squad they have. It's astonishing. You know, look at the bench yesterday. They brought on Fred and Lingard, and other otherwise there was Romero, Rojo, Tuanzabi, and Chong. Like that's Manchester United's bench after spending nine hundred million pounds. It's astonishing, mm. and it's not Solskjaer's fault. It's 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 a kind of you have to look at this holistically, really. It's, it's, nothing will change unless there's a change of approach at the top. I know you mentioned there about Maurizio Pochettino perhaps being a better suited to the job at Old Trafford. And of course, I'm not suggesting that is going to happen. But would it be the right move for Manchester United now to bring in someone like Pochettino? But then would it also be the wrong move for Pochettino to now go to Well, I don't, you know, I think it'd be interesting. I mean, I don't think he's... Um... I mean, he's on under contract to Spurs for 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 some time, but I'd, I'd be you know, there's definitely a challenge there to keep dragging you know reach the Champions League final, keep getting the Champions League, but you know still a way off winning the title, um, domestic title, and it's very hard to see how they bridge bridge that gap anytime soon. So, you know, it'd be quite natural for him to be looking at next options, and I mean, I know that United didn't even try and sound him out. I mean, it wasn't you know it was not. And Spurs fans, as they told me many times on the uh, comments on some of my articles, <laughs> stop trying to get rid of our manager. And you know, fair, but, you know, if I were them, I, I'd be saying the same. Fair enough. So this is, you know, this is all hypotheticals. But you know, United didn't try and get him. Um, I just think, say, when I was looking around, he just ticked for the type of fit that United should want. Then, then he ticked more boxes than 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 anyone I could see. But as Gregor quite rightly says, you know, he might have his own reservations as well. I mean, look at this, you know, the technical director issue at United. You know, they, they may bring in someone after talking about it for months, but I don't think that person's going to have proper clout. I don't think they're going to be put in charge of the football department. There, there are other issues that have nothing to do with Solskjaer that are going to endure. So there are major problems for Manchester United, but let's talk about West Ham then, because it, they were the victorious side this weekend. Um, they were fourth bottom this time last year, Bill. Now they're level on points with third-placed Leicester. Is the future looking bright for them then? I think it's looking brighter than for, for some time. Um, they've got a good solid base now. Fabianski's a really good keeper. Declan Rice is a fantastic uh, defensive midfielder. So he... You know he he'll play every week. Fabianski will play every week. They know exactly what's you know they're very reliable. The back four is it's becoming you know quite familiar with each other. Yeah, that looks very solid. So that gives a good um, base for for the the front players. Um, and they've got a a really good selection of um, very talented, creative, skillful front players. And um, uh, last they've done really well this season. They, they've linked very well, given that they've hardly played together I and mean, Sebastian Allaire is new and Yarmolenko is in- injured for almost this, his entire first season um, the fact that they're linking so well uh, with 
Felipe Anderson, who had a really good season last time. Um, you know, it all goes well. I think, um, you know, if uh, if Manchester United or Arsenal are slightly off the pace, then, uh, you know, they and Leicester uh, are kind of re- reasonably well-placed to pounce. How good is the forward option then, or options for West Ham right now? Obviously, Manchester City, Liverpool, we know about the strengths of their sides, Gregor, but when you look at West Ham, do they come just below them, for example? Maybe at their best. I think, Bill's, as Bill sort of pointed out there, Yarmolenko's coming back from a long-term injury. Allaire's made a good start, but it's a start. Uh, Anderson's always been sort of blowing hot and cold. and At his best, he's a, he's a, fen- a phenomenal talent. Um, Fornals, again, is a, a real talent, but it's his first season in the Premier League, so... Um, they are a talented, talented team and just always something hovering in the back of your mind that this is West Ham and they have purple patches and then and then they fall away. But they do look more solid and organised and well sort of well coached and drilled in this season so far than they have in quite some time, I think. And uh, I think Pellegrini deserves a lot of credit for that, really. If it all clicks like Manuel Pellegrini wants it to, Matt, do you think you could see West Ham challenging for a top six place? Yeah, top top six. I mean, I know there was. I heard some chats yesterday about top four. I think that might be uh, getting a bit carried away. But yeah, the, top six is is possible. But say because you know the vulnerabilities of a club like United, um, and I think Everton are clearly having their own. You know, they've would have those sort of aspirations, ambitions, but they're struggling. Wolves, everyone thought was going to be a team that was very upwardly mobile. You know, look at where they are. So suddenly. Yeah, I think I think um, that sort of fourth, fifth, sixth sort of you know is is there's a get a lot of volatility around it. So you know they 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 do need to um, to show a, a consistency, I guess, that we haven't associated with West Ham for some time, but it's possible. Liverpool remain top of the Premier League after a two-one win at Chelsea, and they stay five points clear of Manchester City. It perhaps wasn't the most polished of performances from Liverpool, Bill, but it was certainly gritty. They certainly knew how to to get grind out a result against a, a Chelsea side that were fighting towards the end. Yeah, they'd had a difficult Champions League match in midweek away to Napoli, um, so they were playing on top of that, and uh, and they're up against a really good Chelsea team, certainly in the second half. Um, Chelsea really overran them in the last half hour um, so uh, it, it was really a, a very rare occasion I thought when Liverpool didn't actually deserve to win a league game the fact that they did get the three points is well I mean there won't be many games when, when they don't deserve to win so that just looks all the more like they're going to end up with a very high total again um, yeah maybe they were in the the in the last half hour, they were perhaps feeling the effects of that that uh, Champions League game, um, but uh, but they 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 took the uh, goals well, and they a couple of times could easily have added to the total. So so yeah, another you know fairly strong performance. Mm. And they've now won the last fifteen Premier League games, Gregor. It's a record only beaten by Manchester City in twenty seventeen. Sheffield United, Leicester, and Manchester United stand in the way of them equaling that record. So can they do it? With those three to come, you certainly wouldn't bet against it to be <laughs> honest. And the, the kind of I see the form they're in, but again, I still don't really think they've hit the absolute heights that they're capable of. I mean, as Bill said, they they sort of rode the luck a little bit. Chelsea created chances in the second half, and uh, I think they probably did look a little bit leggy. Um, 
got a lot of joy down that left flank. Uh, Alexander Arnold's kind of he's an absolute joy to watch going forward, but it's still some sort of weaknesses to work on. I think defensively in terms of closing down and blocking crosses, particularly um, just kind of concentration, perhaps. Um, but they, they, like I say, they're, they've not really even had to hit full stride and they've got maximum points from, from their opening games. Uh, Leicester's probably going to be their, their biggest sort of challenge at that, that, those uh, awaiting fixtures. Um, but yeah, I think, I think they're, as I said last week, they look ominously good and, and really, as we've had confirmed already, the, the, there's those two clubs, Manchester City and Liverpool, are so far ahead and there's probably half a dozen clubs fighting for the, for the rest of the place, places behind them. To talk about Chelsea now, they have picked up just two of a possible 12 points at Stamford Bridge, yet to win at home then this season. Their home form, Matt, that's got to be a huge concern from Frank Lampard. Yeah, I mean, uh, those those stats um, and seeing them, you know, halfway down the table, they, they, they will be concerning. I mean, it, it is interesting. I was talking to someone involved with Chelsea earlier and, and comparing the vibes around, you know, United bring back an ex player and you know there was all that sort of you know early giddiness about it and now it's you know becoming sort of you know even the sort of some fans are sort of starting to question um Solskjaer Lampard still certainly from a fan perspective seems to be very much in a a sort of you know uh, honeymoon period I guess I think people are seeing enough on the pitch that um they're encouraged by what they're seeing. I guess there's comparisons with Sarri, so there's you know there's a sort of good goodwill associated with with the the way he's trying to play the transfer ban, and obviously that then bringing in the young players. You know you saw Mount back in the team yesterday that that late last late chance, which would have you know um, sort of lift, lifted the place. But it's 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 funny how there's a different you know vibe even though they are say lower in the table as you say some of the the home records there is there seems to be that the weirdest thing that you'd ever say about Chelsea but um and it you know come back in a couple of weeks and we'll see if it's still there but there seems to be patience um <laughs> you know which I mean how many times has that been associated with Chelsea uh in the Abramovich era as I say you know we're talking about September let's see if it's patience in October November and, and onwards but I think there is there is an intention to show patience. I think the fans feel that. I think the club feel that. I think you know there is that mood around the place. But um, it's fickle, <laughs> fickle game as we know. So we might have to resume resume this chat uh, in in a while. Well, uh, interesting that Alison Rudd uh, has a take on the game and and in the game she has written how long can Lampard last on promise alone? And she's actually questioning whether Lampard is too adventurous and too trusting in youth. But obviously. Bill, when we knew the transfer embargo was in place, everyone suggested Frank Lampard was the right man to come in because he's worked with the the some of the loanees at, at uh, Derby. Obviously, Jody Morris had worked with the youth at Chelsea when he was there previously. But now, are questions being asked uh, of Lampard? Mm-hmm. Shouldn't be yet. Um, and, I and I think he's got every reason to play Abraham and, and Mount... Uh, now, based on how they're playing, you know, it's not uh, like Pedro would definitely do better than Mount if you put him in. I, I think they're um, so. I don't think it's mu- that much of a gamble. Um, so I, I, I can't see. Uh, I, I, I don't think he should be any under any sort of pressure at all. In fact, I'd, 
you'd be much more optimistic as a Chelsea fan than a Manchester United fan. I think overall they've had a they've been about similar level this season. Um uh but uh with United just really flat. That there's a kind of a an okay, decent ish level, but they've never been terrible this season, Manchester United, but there's there's just no flashes of anything. Whereas Chelsea the last half hour, that was sensational. You know, you think, wow, this, you know, Lampard's got some sort of idea, something to build on. You know, if they, if they can play like that regularly, then they could really do something this season. And, of course, they got Loftus-Cheek to come back, who was just getting into uh, top-class form because before he got injured late last season. Hudson-Odoi hadn't played so much, but he looks very promising, so... Um, so Pulisic the, as well. Pulisic, yeah, yeah he's, he's, he hasn't had all that much time on the pitch since he since he arrived in the summer. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd be you know I'd be uh, quite happy as a Chelsea fan to be honest. Well, Frank Lampard is only the second Chelsea manager to fail to win his opening four games. They've now conceded thirteen goals in six games, which uh, is the most in six games since nineteen seventy eight. Despite that, and uh, as Bill has pointed out, that last half hour in particular at Stamford Bridge was a very spirited display from, from Chelsea. And the fans were stayed behind to, to applaud the team uh, for their performance. So can they take some heart from, from what they showed yesterday on Sunday? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it, as I've said, it's kind of a, an astonishing situation, really. You know, the turnaround and considering Chelsea's recent history, that, you know, if, if anyone else had had that kind of start to... Uh, to a season, those bare sort of numbers and statistics and their place in the league, then this is not the this is not the reaction we would be getting. Uh, so in one way, it's like the stars have aligned for Frank Lampard and to getting this the opportunity this time, which he he wouldn't have had otherwise. Let's be honest about it, and um, being afforded a bit a lot more patience than than anyone any of his predecessors. Um, but as as I've said, that it's there is a lot to be sort of encouraged by. Uh, in terms of performance and as Lampard sort of pointed out it's just the f- kind of moments key moments in games those fine details that decide games and often when you've got younger and experienced players that you're relying upon uh, particularly in defence then those moments aren't going to go your way so how long that can continue to happen and, th- and this atmosphere will still be so sort of um, happy and patient uh, only time will tell but I think I think Chelsea have enough talent and quality and and sort of uh, enthusiasm in the ranks to to get enough results to keep them sort of close enough close enough to the to the Europe, European spots and keep the pressure off enough that this isn't going to become a serious issue like it potentially could at Manchester United. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. 
Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Manchester City began the week in crisis. An embarrassing 3-2 defeat to Premier League new boys Norwich and the title was seemingly over. It's Liverpool's to lose was echoed up and down the country without their first two choice centre-halves. City were all but out of the title race, but fast forward seven days and City are back to their magnificent best. Three in Ukraine on Wednesday night in the Champions League before making, well, quite frankly, one hell of a statement, scoring eight against Watford. Both games without conceding a goal with a makeshift defence bill. Yeah, well, the, it doesn't matter who's in defence if you if the ball never gets that far, and it, and it wasn't. <laughs> it was barely getting that far. A couple of very early chances for Watford, but um, no, Man- Manchester City were just brilliant. I mean, they just have such such control over games. They just take the lead early so often. I think that's, since the start of last season in the league, uh, they've they've scored uh, nine times in the first six minutes in home, just in home matches. So so it, over and over again that the the match is effectively over. You know when they've needed to, they've 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 just killed the game off straight away. So there's so little kind of jeopardy or uncertainty. Um, so they and they did it obviously uh, to an extraordinary extent this time, scoring five times in eighteen in the first eighteen minutes. Um, I think there was a there was a bit of a overreaction um, last week against Norwich. Uh, you know, uh, the City defenders made a couple of really bad mistakes. It's unlikely to happen two in one game. Uh, it won't happen much. Um, Norwich scored from three times, pretty much out of six attacks. You know, did brilliantly to do so, but that's not going to happen much. Manchester City scored twice. Yeah, they went close to scoring about twenty times. That's not going to happen much. So it was all uh, slightly freakish, really, from Manchester City's point of view, and um, and uh, it just kind of normal service continued, winning easily in uh, Ukraine and now beating uh, beating Watford. Um, but it's just as well Liverpool are doing so well because in other circumstances you say, well, the league is, is is absolutely over if Liverpool weren't around, you know. Mm-hmm. Clearly would Manchester City would win the title. You'd think, though, that we would learn and, and not write off Manchester <laughs> City, but why does it seem as though when they do lose, Matt, everyone says it's now Liverpool's title to lose? Um, well, as someone who tipped Liverpool to win the title and got told I was an idiot by a few people, oh. then uh, I'm, I'm obviously delighted. No, I think people I, get offended by you, man. Obviously, <laughs> I think it's um, you know, I th- on the ones clearly, you know, they lose a game. Norwich, as Bill says, you know, some sort of freakish circumstances, want a better word, but and but equally, I can understand why we should get sort of excited about it fascinated by it. it's you know we're so used to the domination to see that upset is is a thrilling thing to watch it's um exciting for the league there's nothing i think mm-hmm. yeah one of the great things in sport is watching a great team do brilliantly but another of them is seeing them under pressure have to do brilliantly mm-hmm. and i think yeah that's you know would they have scored eight against watford if presume something somewhere in the team talk involved guardiola saying look you know are you, are you going to allow people to sort of you know say you're you're rubbish after losing this game you know I'm sure there was a motivation in that so I think it's it's all part of the joy of sport isn't it that um you know football in particular that it lurches around from one week to another that's what that's that's what you know and, and I guess in a world where we know Liverpool and Man City basically are going to be first or second or second and in whatever order 
it's great that we can you know see see results that are unexpected it's interesting with, with Manchester City and those eight goals. I think Jurgen Klopp has said he, he's going to have to study how on earth they have scored eight goals against a Premier League team. Gregor, it, was this a case of Manchester City simply being too good or actually were Watford not very good? Both. <laughs> Simple as that. I mean, Kevin De Bruyne is just like on a different wavelength to almost any other player in the league, I think. And I'd love to see come the end of the season, I'd love somebody, Bill, maybe this is one for you, to Hmm. rack up how many goals are created from that sort of little inside channel Hmm. about 30 yards from goal that he delivers the most like exquisite crosses from. Um, And it seems to be a regular thing. They seem to just kind of rotate. Maybe three players move out to that side of the pitch, rotate around until they create just five yards of space for him to get on the ball. And he puts in a cross that's almost like undefendable. Um, so that's that. I mean, that's a joy to watch, and like I say, it's so hard to deal with. But Watford did give them that space, um, and did sort of not defend the crosses particularly well. But I, I'm I'm not going to criticise anyone for that. I don't think. I think some of those sort of moves and and the way that they construct their attacks are are really impossibly hard to deal with. So Ben Foster said it was the the, the sort of best team he's ever played against the best performance he'd really ever seen and he's he was almost laughing about it you know so I don't think you can sort of say too much about Watford there I know although I know some people do (laughs) oh that nicely leads me into what Tony Casarino has had to say about Watford he has been uh, well scathing of Watford he says losing heavily is one thing getting hammered 8-0 by a City team missing King key players is another too many players look a void of desire uh, Watford he says have already changed their manager now Kiko Sanchez Flores has the task of picking up a group of 11 players that will be on the floor I think he basically goes on to allude to the fact that he thinks Watford will be relegated I'm not sure if he's basing this all on just this one game but that's not obviously something Watford fans will be wanting to, to hear but when you look at the game at at the weekend and of how Watford have started this season. Are they as doomed as Tony is suggesting, Bill? I wouldn't say so, no. I, the fact that Manchester City are so good, it, it, you can almost literally laugh it off, as uh, Gregor was saying. <laughs> um, so so we'll, we'll see. I mean, we know they played very well against Arsenal the, the previous uh, week. Um, I think they've on paper, they've got a team that you wouldn't expect to go down. Um, and they've got... The best forward, Troy Deeney, I think is really underrated. He'll be back at some point. He's injured at the moment. Um, so that'll be a big boost. Um, so no, I wouldn't be too worried. I mean, they do, clearly they need to start winning soon. They still haven't uh, won. But uh, I think that there's, there's no obvious um, uh, team like, you know, last season you thought Cardiff and Huddersfield, it doesn't look good for them, you know, from very early on. But there's, there, it's it's hard to pick out a team where you think, oh, they're, they're really going to struggle so far this season. Mm. And if you're looking at Manchester City losing at Norwich as a freakish result, we should look at this mm. one perhaps as a freakish result, Matt. Well, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, there are, to score those early goals, it's at such speed. Um, yeah, I mean, everything just clicked for them. And so, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd, I agree with Bill. I mean, I think, you know, Watford have largely got the... Um, same group of players that that have done well over the last couple of years um, with Deeney to come back and I don't see you know um, they've got a manager who obviously they've had before they know him he knows a lot of the players I think yeah there's 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 enough reasons to think that they should be able to um, sort themselves out West Ham 
West Ham got walloped 5-0 by Manchester City on the opening mm. day and now we've just been talking about them as potential candidates for the top six so I think yeah we can maybe jump to a conclusion sometimes maybe Pep's right <laughs> <laughs> The Rugby World Cup 2019 is underway in Japan. The Times will be at every game and The Ruck, our award-winning rugby podcast, will be covering the tournament in its unique style. Presented by World Cup winner and former England captain Lawrence Delalio, we'll be bringing you the latest news from Owen Slott, Stephen Jones and the rest of our writers on the ground as they experience the sights and sounds of the greatest tournament in world rugby. The podcast is available now. Just search for The Ruck on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or Acast and don't forget to subscribe to never miss an episode. Another weekend then in the Premier League has been and gone and VAR once again is a talking point. Quite a few incidents this weekend and quite a big one in the game between Tottenham and Leicester. Serge Aurier saw his goal against Brendan Rodgers' side, chalked off due to Song Heung-min being adjudged offside on review. Now, the technology tells us that Song was 1.6 centimetres offside. Are we happy then that offsides of 1.6 centimetres are being called? Gregor, what do you think? I mean, a big part of me says, says no, just because... <laughs> To the human eye, it looked completely level, and that was we're so used to that's that should be onside. But when when you try and look for search for solutions to this, we've you know we've discussed already on this podcast that the technology doesn't really exist to make it any more definitive. Uh, people have talked about should there be should these decisions be clear and obvious, but we can't agree on what's clear and obvious for other decisions. So why should that be any different? Mm. Um, I think really we just have to get get used to this. Um, I mean, there's so many, you know, people throw forward all sorts of solutions about what part of the body it should be and things like that. I think we're just getting going down a wormhole, really. Um, I think we need to make the the most of the technology we have available to ourselves just now um, and work hard to try and make it better. I mean, obviously, Matt, you're, you've been a big fan mm-hmm. of VAI. You've been wanting it introduced for, for quite a while. And obviously with something with offside and onside, I mean, it's just, it's, you're either onside or you're not, basically. Well, exactly. I mean, people say, oh, well, should we have a, um, you know, 10 centimetre rule or something? But then we're going to be arguing about whether it was 10 or 10.5 or 9.5. <laughs> so, you know, you're just shifting the problem. I do, I do see, you know, there had been a shift towards giving, you know, when there was a benefit of the doubt th- to, to a linesman, there had been a sense that the, uh, the attacking team... Um, Attacker had um, the sort of benefit of, of of that doubt, and I can, yeah. Gregor said, I mean, maybe it's just sh- sort of shifting the argument, but I can see that maybe you can redefine the rule so that you know if there's a part of the um, striker that is still onside, effectively, then that's you know you change you change the rule in that sense. Mm-hmm. So there is effectively a way of an attacker. Um, just shifting the balance back in favour of of an attacker. So I, would that I not be getting measured as well, though? In the same no, but you still get measured. So you're still going to have 1.6 centimetre decision. But all I'm saying is that that allows then the attacker to be, you know, on on 
pushing Just his luck. Keep, it, to, keep the benefit. Exactly. So, I, I, you know, I think there is a case for that. You know, maybe we can look at how many goals are being scored, compare it to how many goals are being disallowed compared to, to what we've seen before for offsides. We need those sort of statistics. Because, again, people are going on emotion. I mean, it's, you know, the goals disallowed, then Leicester you know score and win the game as if VAR is responsible for that as well there's these highly emotive arguments coming in where it's like oh that you know Spurs would have won with this that's changed it well you know a goal's been disallowed because a man was offside that's been a matter of you know fact and judge, uh, fact in the decision that doesn't mean to say that whatever happens thereafter is therefore VAR's responsibility um, and also you know I've said it before everyone is judging this on on what still feels to me you know, in the great scheme of things, you know, very limited period of, of use. You know, this is a system that we might be fine-tuning for the next 10 years, but mm. to make it better and to make it more palatable and to make it more acceptable for how we want the game to be. And let's just have a discussion about about that, not sort of throwing our arms in horror about it. The phases are quite interesting, though. You know, the, the incident at uh, Stamford Bridge where Mason Mount was offside... Mm-hmm. And then the game continued and trying to sort of discern what at what point a new phase of play begins. Is it, was it when the goalkeeper makes a save or is it when the defence reset themselves? You know, that is a that is something I think that you probably could tighten up. Don't ask me how, but I think I think it's different. It's not quite it's not it's not sort of measuring something by the millimetre. It's I think you could probably decide upon a ruling that would sort of Determine what a new phase of play is. And That's that right, because uh, there was Norwich got a goal against Chelsea, I think, this season, where Norwich player clearly committed a foul on a Chelsea player near the touchline, near the halfway line, and Norwich scored. I don't know, fifteen seconds later, let's say, and and it was decided that was too too far before the the goal was scored to to matter. Mm. So it wouldn't, it wasn't considered was it was this actually a foul or not? So again, we, you know, where where does the phase of play Relevant phase of play, start and finish. Well, it didn't it, matter to to uh, to Chelsea or to Liverpool. Sorry, to hmm. their defenders. You know, it was so marginal. He was st- standing on the touchline. If he'd been standing half a half a yard deeper, it wouldn't have affected the way that the game unfurled afterwards. So that is something I think could be probably looked at. There was also that penalty incident in the game between Arsenal and Aston Villa, where Socrates may or may not, depending on how you looked at it. Uh, handballed um, how was that hmm. not given because most people think that was a, a nailed on yeah. penalty it's interesting that no deci- penalty decisions have been overturned whether if it's the ref giving a penalty and overturning it or the ref not giving a penalty and that being overturned to a penalty 60 games so far nothing has happened no overturn in all that time in other, and, and you could argue for Twenty, twenty-five. You could probably say a majority of referees would have changed their minds. Maybe twenty, you know, in twenty incidents or twenty-five. So, so the as people say the bar is so high now as to be almost pointless. You know, it's not really going to change. The, the, the definition. I, I, I've never heard of a, what the definition of is of clear and obvious. Is it? Ten referees out of ten would say it's a penalty. Was it nine out of ten? Eight out of ten? Yeah. Uh, this is quite a never. It's so new hard to know what clear new and obvious. I know, I know <laughs> that's, that, that's difficult as it is, of course. To, that's to, because, to, yeah, as you say, I, I was surprised that that asked the, the that wasn't given, but um, especially the way the 
you know, I know we are interpreting the law slightly different from <laughs> just to complicate it further. But I think, <laughs> yeah. I mean, ultimately, we always have to remind ourselves, I think, again, I'm sure I said this before, that this, you know, we would normally be picking up the game and there would be, you know, ex-manager says why referee is useless because mm. he missed this, or you know, there would yeah. there would there would be three stories like that. I totally agree. I, I absolutely, I'm totally with Matt. I think VAR. I think it's been. I definitely stick with it, even if it's been as it is. I mean, no doubt it'll improve as the season goes on, as the seasons continue. So I would certainly stick with it. Really, the, the the only real problem is, as it from day one on the, the when the idea was first mooted is. Um, what happens when a goal is scored and there's not there's muted celebrations because you're waiting for confirmation, and uh, and and it could have. I know people felt, uh, in in they probably felt this was an important uh, issue this weekend because four goals were overturned unusually in one weekend, but uh, overall the 186 times a ball's gone in the net this season a, a goal has been awarded and 10 times. It's been overruled by VAR, so it's only one in nineteen, so five percent. So, so when a goal goes in, I think you, you can be that you can be confident enough. You're ninety-five percent sure it is a goal, you know. So I think you can be you can feel confident in celebrating, <laughs> and because it's such a small chance, you know, five percent. Especially as often you know when that there is some doubt. Most of the time, there there won't be any doubt. A player just goes through no issue of a foul or offside. So, so lots of the time you can. Can be clear anyway, and that's why we have Bill go. for those sort of stats. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, you know, like, you know, football's emotional. There's it, it, going to be emotion in this argument as well. But it's great to have someone like Bill who can actually put that in a, a st- e- yeah. yeah, easy to handle. You know, easy for me. It's no mathematician to handle st- <laughs> statistic because I think we need more of that in this argument. You know, yes, there's emotion, and we need that as part of the game. But ultimately, you know, we also um, say we've. The world has moaned enough about refereeing, and we're just trying to give them give them a helping hand. It doesn't seem uh, as, a, as I always think. If if we can't make this work, then um, we're pretty bloody useless. Maybe we should get like a jaunty jingle for whenever we're discussing VAR. Still waiting a little bit. Well, whatever happened, VAR is here to stay. I think we just have to get used to it. Well, that is it for now. Many thanks to Matt Dickinson and Bill Edgar for joining us. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It is just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information and we'll be back on Thursday. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.